From Twin Cities Business, this is By All Means, a show about innovation, drive, and purpose, and the leaders who make business work in Minnesota. I'm Allison Kaplan, your host and editor-in-chief of Twin Cities Business Magazine. We're coming to you from the studios of our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas's Opus College of Business, serving more than 3,000 students enrolled in its undergraduate and graduate business programs. The college develops effective, principled business leaders who think globally and act ethically. And now, by all means. Megan Tampty was a stay-at-home mom with an itch to build something, especially for other women like her. She wanted them to feel confident and beautiful and like it was perfectly okay to bring a stroller into a store. In 2004, she opened her first store, and that became Evereve, a specialty women's chain with more than 85 stores nationwide, a robust e-commerce business, and a rapidly growing subscription service called Trendsend. They just hit $120 million in annual revenue. Today, she and her husband Mike run the company together as co-CEOs, and they're here with us today on By All Means. Thanks for being here, Oh, we're so here, happy to be guys. here. This is so Our fun. Pub, I mean, public. of all of the stories that we're telling this season on By All Means, I mean, this one, I feel like I've kind of been along for the ride. You probably don't feel that way, but I mean, I just I so vividly remember, remember coming in yeah. to that first store in Edina, Minnesota on day one, and it was just you folding shirts. <laughs> I remember you being there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's so amazing to see what has happened. Um, just to, to get us started, talk a little bit about the thought process and what went into you just to going from being a teacher and a mom to starting a business. Absolutely. Well, it was never my intention to, to do to start a retail brand. Um, I always just wanted to be a teacher and wanted to be a mom. And um, shortly after my daughter, Allison, was born, almost, it's hard to believe, almost 22 years ago, Wow. Um, I had a horrible, terrible shopping experience looking for fashion um, after becoming a mom. And it was after this horrible experience in the dressing room where um, I, I wanted help. I wanted um, to connect with other people. I was kind of lonely at the time, and mm-hmm. I just wanted people to connect with me and help me and um, help me put outfits together. Um, I decided I ended up that day not getting what I was looking for and left the store just crying, feeling terrible about myself. And on that drive home, I remember thinking someone should create a, a, a retail concept that helped women like me who wanted fashion help, who wanted help um, finding items that would fit their body type, who wanted help um, putting outfits together, who wanted clothing. I really wanted clothing that was modern and relevant and versatile with just a little bit of edge. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted connection. I wanted community. I was I was lonely. So it was really all those feelings that I experienced that day that I, I, I kind of thought someone should create a store that's just for the woman like me in the dressing room that day. And that's when the, the beginning of the brand um, started. When did you say to yourself, maybe I should be the one to create this store? <laughs> well, my husband, Mike, Mike, who is um, co-founder, co-CEO, we run the business together. Um, we started talking about it. I came home and, and kind of started sharing the idea with him. And Mike has always wanted to build a business and he's always been just a real um, entrepreneur at heart as well. We started kind of dreaming together about this business. And I think what Mike, I remember what you, you were, you thought at the time was that what, what I had created was so different. It was so different than what was in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. And he, he really listened to the dream and he was like, that's a really relevant concept that is so different than what other retail brands are doing. So we started like dreaming together, 
for a, for year for five years about this. Really? Brand. Yeah. I don't know if yeah. you want to so talking we were, about it. And yeah, we dreaming were living in it. California at the time. Um, and Megan, Megan has a lot of ideas. <laughs> no. Full disclosure, she gets five or ten new ideas that she tells me. Every even day. Now, every you knew what you were getting right into. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I know. So a lot of ideas. And some, you know, some I, I throw good. a nod. You signed up for this, yeah. Mike. Right. And this one I liked. It was it was differentiated in the market. Uh, we felt like the consumer was identifiable. Um, and uh, we started talking, brainstorming, looking at real estate. This is in the Bay Area at the time. Uh, and we started researching, uh, putting a business plan together, seeing if the numbers could work. And we decided to actually look at real estate. We and it. We, we, yeah. we actually incorporated Most people don't realize this, but Hot Mama in its originality, it was actually- The original name was, it, it was Hot, Hot Mama. Mama. Originally yep. name was Hot Mama, was incorporated in California, in the Bay Area. Wow. Yeah. So we were going to launch it in the Bay Area. Um, and uh, the funny story about that is that we came, we, we found our spot in Walnut Creek, California. The rent was high, um, and Megan and I both were raised in the Midwest. And we looked at each other and said, "Do we want to raise? Do we want to open this store, this company, uh, in California without the support of friends and family?" And we sort of said, "Yeah, we could do it, but let's go and negotiate with the landlord, try to get the rent down." And if the landlord resists, then we're going to pick up, move to, move to the Twin Cities, and open the company there. Wow! And so that's what we did. We went to the landlord and said, "This is where we need the rent to be." And the landlord said, "No way." We picked up and we moved to Minnesota. And we're so grateful. I really, I, I really also felt that um, if I was going to jump into this, I was a, a stay-at-home mom at the time. My kids were just really little. I felt like I wanted to be in the Midwest. I don't know. For some reason, that felt more like home to me. I felt like um, I'm a huge Minnesota fan. I've always wanted, to, even though I was raised in Chicago, I've always wanted to live in Minnesota. Um, and I just felt like... Um, if I was going to do this, I wanted for some reason. I just, we wanted to be in Minnesota. We wanted to yeah. feel good about our community and be close to family. So we did make the move and, and come to Minnesota. I do want to talk about um, what a really fun part of that five year process that mm -hmm. we were in of just dreaming. Um, it was something we talked about all the time. Like we talked about it all the time. If we weren't talking about our kids, we were talking about Hot Mama, this brand we created. I didn't really. I don't know. I think for five years, I didn't really think it would ever be a reality. Mm -hmm. It was just a dream. At that time, I didn't know dreams were possible, like you could really make a dream come true. Um, but one night after dreaming of for about five years, I was kind of in a funk. Um, definitely felt like there was a dream inside of me that needed to be born, which was really confusing because like, it's not how I thought my life would be. Um, um, Mike encouraged me to pour out all my dreams onto a piece of paper. And it was so sweet because he he said, you know, I think you just need to get this all down. And I just remember you saying, um, write it down. And I, I, I remember being very insecure about like all the dreams for this company and like the really stupid ones, the really big ones. And he was like, no, get all of them out, like all of them out. And so I did. I poured out all of my dreams onto a piece of paper for the brand Hot Mama. And then Mike took that piece of paper and created a, did his magic on it, I say. A he created plan, a business plan. I, I truly believe a business plan, a great business plan, is this articulation of dreams. Hmm. Um, and so that that's when we dreamed of the idea of putting 
toddler train tables in our stores and toys in dressing rooms and computer video games. Uh, who was doing that at the time? Nobody no was one was doing, doing it. And we, so I mean, iconic women. Remember iconic that. women? Um, we had um, Coretta Scott King and Jackie Kennedy, and like we. I remember putting like that up. Like I want framed images of iconic moms. Yeah. And like he just said, put it all out there. Mm-hmm. But that was. I mean, it's it's such a simple idea, and yet it's amazing how groundbreaking it was that there was a place for your kids to play, yes. and you didn't have to yes. feel bad about asking yeah. the salespeople to maybe right. like keep an yeah. eye on your top. While yeah. you tried on a pair of jeans, we always wanted to be too. We just wanted to be welcoming because my experience was going into stores, particularly boutiques. Um, and if you had kids, they weren't necessarily the most welcoming environment. So we really wanted to p- be a place that said, "You are welcome here. We're gonna we're friendly." Um, we wanted to make fashion really accessible because I think a lot of moms feel like a lot of women feel that fashion. They love fashion, but sometimes it just it doesn't feel accessible. So we wanted to just make a statement that this is accessible yeah. and we're going to welcome you, And even if you have your children. Our design and service experience was designed to be the antithesis of that Bay Area boutique that Megan shopped <laughs> that in. We're shopping in. So we, we wanted to go all out and to be different. And again, looking at who we wanted to serve, that made sense. Yeah. And we, we still wanted the, the contemporary clothing. We Absolutely. wanted to offer the fashion on-trend, modern um, product with a little edge. So that piece was really important to us, but we just wanted to reframe it in a way that was just more accessible and welcome, welcoming right. to, to women. It, it made perfect sense. And it was, like, like I said, I mean, I walked in and thought, wow, it's amazing mm-hmm. that more people aren't doing this. And yet I have to admit, I didn't see 85 stores but you did i mean did did were we, you thinking that way from day 1 we were well i think we, i mean megan I and i didn't said. have money to start the business and so we decided early on to raise money from friends and family before you opened the very first before store. we opened the first store and to do that we had to put a, a, together a business plan and that business plan forecasted an exit for those investors. And so we had to forecast a certain return based on forecasted revenues five years out. And so in that business plan, we had a plan of having 10 stores by 2010. We knew we wanted to build a national brand. We That was always, we knew, we felt like we had discovered something that was special and different. And and the way we, we talked a lot about was, we, we know we weren't the woman, first women's fashion, contemporary fashion brand, but we felt like having this niche of owning at the time the mom, um, the contemporary mom, we mm-hmm. felt like that was something really different and really unique. And I felt like it came from such a true, honest place. And the name Hot Mama was kind of catchy and no one, it was different than what anybody was doing. And I really, we really felt like this was an opportunity. We had something special. We could build a national brand. So from the very beginning, we never set out to open one store. This was always a plan to build a national brand. And how quickly did you begin opening more stores? Yeah. So the first store opened in November, 2004. We had certain uh, metrics that we had to hit in order to what we can I talk Wait, about? Yeah. Sure, you want. So, so when we got that business plan done, and Mike did, I worked my, I poured my dreams out. He did his little number magic, mm-hmm. um, which is fascinating. Um, it's really good when you're a dreamer to marry oh, a numbers person. Oh, it's the best. Yeah. It's the best. It's the best relationship. <laughs> good plan for people who want to be <laughs> and, entrepreneurial. Yes, it's amazing. 
amazing. It yeah. is. And, and it didn't happen. that. I mean, it just happened that way. Um, but he sat me down one night. He was like, come here. Let's talk about this street. Let's talk about Hot Mama. And he, he presented me with a number, which was $1,500. And he said, if, if we want to make this happen and we want it to if be— If we want to survive. If we want to survive, um, you would have to hit $1,500 of sales every day in, in that store. In 2004, in, in that 2000, store. In mm-hmm. 2004 to break even. And did that feel— And I remember think—like, I remember telling you, I'll get back to you. Let me think about that. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember, like, going off. I'm a, I'm a walker. I'm a thinker. I was like, okay, I know my mom will probably buy— Something. My neighbor. I have sister-in-laws that like clothing. Like I, I thought, oh my, probably my best friend will buy something, and maybe my neighbors. And and then he broke it down even further. I, re- I remember where we were standing in California, and you were like, okay, that would be, and you broke it down. I don't know, like tops, tops bottoms, bottoms, jeans, bottoms, how jeans. many per day? Like that's what it would be. Mm-hmm. And I remember when you did that, I was like, well, I think I could do that. So that number was really important, and we felt, I think, two things when we opened that first door. Obviously, if we hit that number every day, that was a good sign. And secondly, I wanted to know if women would, like, if I was a crazy lady mm-hmm. with an idea that was crazy, or if women would be like, I connect to this idea. This is amazing. And I think both things, both things happened really. Um, it within six months, well, you, were, you yeah. were hitting that number. We were hitting we hit the, we were number, the number. We, we hit the number. So I gave Megan two numbers. One was uh, fifteen hundred. Another one was twenty five hundred dollars a day. And if we were at twenty five hundred dollars <laughs> a day, that would give us evidence that there was some magic behind this concept. And I think it was we opened in November, and even in the winter months by February, we had pretty much since day one averaged more than twenty five hundred dollars a day. Wow. So we actually um, in March reached out to a landlord at the shops at Arbor Lakes in Maple Grove, and uh, by August two thousand five, we had opened that store. Yeah, and Eve, I think also not only were we hitting the number, but women were coming in and telling me, "You're not crazy," <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. that idea. That feels really that good. That feels really Especially good. Especially when they're not related feel, to you. I mean, right? it, it was like hot mama. I mean, it was like so crazy. Like it was so scary and so risky. I mean, mm-hmm. it was really risky to open up a store called Hot Mama. Um, people were like, women were like, "I totally get this." Like there was so much affirmation, and all I really had to do was tell my story. Mm-hmm. I just would tell people my story, and they were like, "That is not." crazy that is amazing that is brilliant and then they they were just they loved what we were about we had a lot to learn right we we learned a lot about fashion we learned a lot about service but 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 overall we felt like we could hit the numbers and the concept was was viable what they liked were what, some of the key things that you did to set yourself up for that growth along the way i mean as at a certain point did you have to go out and raise money when did you start your board what what were some of the really key things you know uh, let me say that uh, because we had a business plan well first of all for any uh, dreamers and entrepreneurs out there starting a business opening a first store is painful it is not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. Um, and we go back, and actually, when Megan and I think about those early days, it's horrible feelings. We don't have a really happy <laughs> really? feelings. Terrible no, feelings. no, there's really? horrible. Fear. Like every day, the year anniversary, so much fear, like yeah. to the point where like I could cry, like today. Like hmm. so much fear. And like I, literally, it brings before tears. You open. Um, before, before you open, before we open, like yes, the six months before we opened, open the first year, like literally, so much fear that like I could cry like a baby today. It's the unknown. So 
the good thing about having a business plan and raising money from friends and family and telling them that we're going to open <laughs> 10 stores by 2010 is we were we felt obligated to renew that fear and pain every single time we opened <laughs> oh, a new store. Brutal. Would we have brutal. continued to open store after store after store knowing the pain? Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if we no. we may have, we may not have, but mm-hmm. we felt we raised money, we had to do it. So I think uh, it, it is it is. Um, it, it's a uh, catalyst to growth is of writing it down. We have a famous saying, what gets written down gets done. But we did raise money. Um, we raised money, about $2 million in growth capital in 2004, 2005, and 2006, and maybe 2007. And All that from opened, friends and family? Uh, so it was friends and family in the beginning, about 10 of them. And we also got an SBA loan. We had that for about a year, year and a half, and we paid that off. And then most of the money came in 2006 and 2007. I think that was the last time we actually raised any growth capital till this day. Wow. So we have done this now, and I think in 2020, 2021, we'll uh, have generated $1 billion in life-to-date revenues, all from $2 million in growth capital that was raised in those early years. So the, the growth capital definitely helped, and that got us through the first seven stores. Mm-hmm. And then from that moment on, we were able to grow from cash profits alone. You're doing all this at a time when retail is struggling mm-hmm. and kind of collapsing around you. I mean, it's hard to to think about like the malls that were thriving mm-hmm. in 2004 that are now gone. Mm-hmm. That you know, it's just so much change has happened. Why do you think you were able to buck that trend? Well, first of all, I think um, I think we are comfortable evolving and changing and growing. So I think we both have Mike and I both have a spirit of growth um, and evolution and change. So I think we've really been able to adapt and evolve. Um, I, our, I, I feel we are um, value driven. So we have, you know, I always like to say I didn't, I started this business, I didn't have an MBA, I didn't have fashion experience. Um, I had really strong values, like I, I, that came from my family, that came from my faith. And those values to me have been our secret weapon for building a company. And those values um, have helped us attract a team. Because I think that's really important. This is not the Mike and Megan show. We've had so many incredible people that um, have been part of this journey. And and success is really about a team. And so um, I think the values that drive our company, um, the I, I think our love of just our genuine concern for for doing good in the world. And really, this was born out of a need that I saw that was for, I didn't want other women to experience what I experienced in the dressing room that day. So I would say it was very pure. Um, it wasn't about me. It wasn't about my style, my fashion, my this. It was about other, like, it was about, at the time, the moms. And the, like, I, like, it started so organically and out of, out of what I say, the heart. So I think that's really important. And other well, retailers weren't really speaking to moms right, in that way. Right, right, Um I think it's about our customers' experience that we give that is so amazing. And it starts with just attracting people that love fashion but love humanity and people more. Um, so we really attract those kind of people to work for us. Um, and also our financial discipline. 
we, we, financial discipline, we are disciplined financially and we mm-hmm. always have been. When, when I travel to New York, when we travel to LA, when we go to these shows, like how we run our company, we're very disciplined. We, we try not to spend a lot of money. We stay at inexpensive hotels. We, we, we're not like big spend. I would say we're not big people that are big spenders. We mm-hmm. live within our budget. Would yeah, you I mean, say? I think there's the, a lot the of financial discipline in our company. When financial discipline is not necessarily for our sake or for the sake of our investors, it's for the sake of our customers. When we go travel, when we go make decisions about who we hire, uh, those that's the customer's money. Ultimately, we want to earn a profit and a fair profit. But to do so, we have to charge amount that we think is fair and modest. And I think that we've done that from from the start. Is we try to honor the customer's pocketbook. Yeah, you you have. I mean, it's it. You've changed prices and mm-hmm. and offerings a mm-hmm. few times. What have been? Well, first of all, have there been any major mistakes around the, along the way? And and what do you think are sort of were there sort of some key shifts well, I in think, yeah, spending? I think we have changed our assortment, and I think again, I think it's about listening to what the customer wants, and combining that with what you know to be true and what you want to offer. And it's that this marriage of like the customer and what she's telling us she wants and us having a point of view. Um, but really we have, um, I think we've adapted really well to the needs of the customer, wouldn't you say, in terms of even price point? Yeah. I mean, there, during the recession, we, we, we made, some made some adjustments coming out of the recession. Yeah. We did some customer surveys. And the bottom line is they said, you're just too expensive right now. And so we did. We, we sought out new sources in order to bring our prices down on our product. And that was very successful. We came out of the recession growing very fast, far faster and far sooner than most, because I think we listened to the customers. In 2000, mid, I think the, the, the trough was like 2000, early 2009 for us. Um, by fall 2009, we were on a tear. Hmm. Uh, but, I, you know, I think also one thing that we've done over the years, even though we have changed our assortment a little bit, we have always used guardrails in terms of our design aesthetic. Yeah. And I think that's what customers want. Like, you know, there are... A, a, an overwhelming amount of choices in the world. And what we want to do is we want to say, here's our contemporary design aesthetic, and we want to keep uh, stay true to that design aesthetic. And we might change prices and some assortment around just a little bit. But that's one of the reasons why I think people like shopping at Evereve is because they, they can trust the curation that goes into the product, the product assortment that we yeah. bring in day in, day out, from 2004 all the way till today. Mm-hmm. And that we're going to deliver who are, who are you designing for? Who, who, what's the average age? Who, who do you see as the target demo? Well, we're, 30 we, to 50 years old. Women, women. that are, um, I th- yeah, 30 to 50 year old. Women that are open to possibilities. So women, this is what we learned in our recent brand work, is that the woman that loves us is somebody that wants to, she's open to like, to us showing her ideas. She's open to new outfit combinations. She's open to our thoughts on like how to, you know, mix and match patterns. She, she definitely has a, we call it an, uh, a growth mindset. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're actually going after, um, through our band work, we were before, you know, when we began, we were kind of going after the moms. Now um, our brand work has showed us that we're kind of going more after a mindset. So it's women who are, you know, want to stay um, youthful and women that are, you know, want to evolve and change and are open. I would say just open to the, we, we open to the possibilities of, of fashion and growth and the future. 
I want to talk about digital because obviously that's increasingly yeah. important. But what do you think it is that still draws these women into the actual physical stores? Because mm-hmm. you're still opening stores, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're still opening stores. Yeah. And can I say something about that customer? We found uh, in 2006 was the first time we opened a store outside the Twin Cities. We opened a store in the Chicago market, Megan's hometown. And we found that our customer, that same customer, same psychographic demographic customer who loves us in the Twin Cities, also she found us in Chicago and she lives in Chicago. Then we opened in Michigan, in Denver, and now we're in 26 states. Our customer is the same, whether she's on either coast or here in the Midwest. That told us a lot. That gave us confidence to continue to open up a lot of stores. But I think the other reason why people loved shopping with Everaven, one of the reasons why we've been successful, especially coming out of the recession. I know the recession was over 10 years ago, but uh, the customer experience, it's a highly engaged experience. It was birthed out of the, out of Megan's experience when she was shopping Bay Area boutiques, and she wanted to create this um I can help you put outfits together, and I'm going to be, we're very open. We don't want to be um, too much in your face, but we're just, we're there. Right. It's not it, snooty. It's not mm-hmm. No, yeah, not we didn't, we were like, we're going to. Yeah, we just want to help. We I mean, just yeah. want to help. Yeah. And, and, and the way we, the way we, you know, lead our company is that that experience, it starts with genuine concern and com- we call it heart, our experience heart, because it's, it absolutely starts with a genuine concern and empathy and compassion for the, the women that are coming through our doors. Like it's, it's not about, we don't, it's not about sales. It's about heart and it's about just offering help and, and being there to help put outfits together. Most women want help putting outfits together, unless you're like this fashion person that has time and energy and like the average woman wants help finding things that fit her body type and she wants help she gets really excited about like outfit combinations right Right. like outfitting like that it's like not because she can't do it but because she just doesn't prioritize that that's not like you want some validation you just want help you just want some validation so i think that idea of um you know, we want to make it comfortable, but we, we are going to stand tall in who we are because the world doesn't need another boutique that doesn't talk to you. Like, sure. you know, that they, they we, we wanted to create a boutique yeah. that was really helpful. So then how do you carry that to digital? Well, that's that's <laughs> I think that's the reason why we're, we continue to open stores is the best way of delivering that experience is through a brick and mortar. Someone walking into our store, our digital assets have grown tremendously. Uh, just last quarter, for instance, uh, we are just our e-commerce sales were up 61% compared to the same quarter a, a year ago. But 85% of those customers found us in a store, hmm. so they still come shop in our yeah. store. But now this is a more or an additional convenient way for them to shop. So we see them; they still walk in the store, but they are coming in less frequently. One thing, yeah, I mean, digitally, the other thing that we're we're in the midst of doing is trying to figure out how to assist them and help them without being in the store. Um, but actually what we found out is some of our techniques are actually driving them to the store. So we we have this year really, and I'm super excited about this because it's so awesome and so pure, is that we are taking a lot of our internal people in our family mm-hmm. and we are putting them- Corporate in, family. Corporate family. How many are in your corporate family? 
at this 1500? point. I always get it wrong. My LM might take Total number of employees or yeah. people at the corporate office? Well, total. Both. We have 1,700 employees nationwide. Okay. And at the corporate office. Every corporate day office, there's someone have, new. Every we day have a couple corporate offices, but our main corporate office, we have 85. Yeah. Wow. And um, we are putting them in front of the camera. And we are doing um, Insta stories and Facebook lives, and it's so fun because I look at our I look at our company. I'm like, we have amazing women, all kinds of body types and shapes and sizes, which is what we hear. You know, women want to see like, does this? So we have a, an amazing company filled with amazing women, all kinds of shapes and sizes. We um, are, are you the only man, Mike? No, 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 no. no, no. I'm sorry, I just when you said all these women. Have, Pretty amazing though. I think we we're now up to twelve. Yeah. I think we're up at twelve. Yeah, twelve yeah. guys now. It's really fun <laughs> yeah. when a guy because we we need to open it up. But um, we are we have this studio. We have all this beautiful product. We have all this makeup and hair, and we have like a studio in our home office. So I'm like, let's get people on camera and let's start talking to our customers. And with Insta Stories and with Facebook Lives, we've been doing a lot of that this year. And so it is we're able to offer. Um, Heidi, Where do you see the results? We see it in the store all, all, all over. <laughs> really? It, it, it is online. It is shocking how uh, disruptive, positively disruptive it's so amazing. Insta stories it's so and video fun. selling is. And it's is. really easy for us to we do can, it. The good thing is we can track. Every every customer who buys something online, we can track that and see the, see the success. But then when we talk to our store managers, and we talk stores. to them all the time. Um, we know about triple the sales are coming in. Just to, they're walking into our stores with their iPhone and saying, "I yeah. want this outfit yeah. that I saw yeah. this morning, this afternoon, yeah. this afternoon, yesterday." Yeah. On, on one of our Insta stories. So we have different shows, and we're we're just we have the Heidi. Heidi has a show. She's our chief creative officer. She does. I mean, it's amazing. This woman is amazing. She she is like a fierce business leader. She's leading our creative team, and then she hops in a dressing room and literally undress like not not in front of everybody. Like is trying clothes on for our audience and. And people watch what she's wearing and watch how she's putting outfits together. And then they, they're they like, I mean, she sells to me. Sometimes I'm watching the Heidi show and I'm like, I want that whole outfit. Where, do we, see, where do we see the Heidi show? Um, Is that does, on Instagram? She does Facebook Lives. Okay. I, I'm always bad on the days. Yeah, I'm not Tuesday. sure. I mean, we're going to ha- start having a schedule. This is so wow. new. Do you um, have a digital marketing team that's managing yes, all this? Yes, we have a great digital team that's managing it. And they're adaptable and flexible. And we're, we're building this. So we, Facebook Lives, so Heidi does a show every week. We do a Friday show, Insta Story, and Ashley. Ashley is another um, member of our, She's our, our, director, our of director of styling. She's been with us, and she hops in the dressing room, and she tries everything on at every on camera or on an Insta story, and she puts outfits together, and she becomes everybody's friend. And so we're really – Christina, who's um, been with with been with us from like the very beginning. She's on Transcend. She tries product on. So we are um, noticing a lot of momentum there. And it's fun because that is our way of like offering outfit and, sure. and help and body type Insta and stories, all of that. Insta stories I, I would and say Insta stories and Facebook lives uh, are generating millions of dollars in sales. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's mm-hmm. amazing. Yes. You mentioned tra- so many things to talk about. We haven't even talked about I, the transition to every, yes. but yeah, let's talk about Transcend and then yeah. we'll talk about the branding and, and rebranding. That's another Transcend way. Transcend launched, what year was that? Oh, it was in beta for a half a year and really started a little over three years ago. Okay. Live. And this is a subscription mm-hmm. service. Yes. 
kind of like aimed at competing with Stitch Fix. Mm-hmm. Can we say that? Sure. I mean, was that well, what you were we seeing? Were aimed at competing or? with them, we thought it was. A, we thought it was a good extension of what we do what we really do. well in our stores. Okay. Style. And yeah, we're, 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 we're already together. styling. Um, styling customers in stores, and we feel like we have a competitive advantage over Stitch Fix because 92% of all of our TrendSend boxes are being styled by stylists in our stores, and so they actually see the product on customers, which is different than Stitch Fix stylists. I don't want to talk about the competitor here, but but that's a competitive advantage because we know what what goes really well on different body types. And how is that growing faster than just uh, digital's online sales? I mean, what where, where do you see the most growth? Uh, historically, over the last three years, TrendSend has been the fastest growth channel. Uh, just more recently, in the last nine months, actually, our .com is competing with TrendSend <laughs> in terms of uh, of growth, year-over-year mm-hmm. year growth. Um, it's been uh, b- both are growing very rapidly. About five years ago, our total sales of our total sales digital represented only three percent of total sales. Today, it's twenty five percent. We think it's going to be thirty five percent by the end of this year. Wow! Yeah. And will you reach a point where you say no more physical stores? Or I mean, no, we're are, looking. No, we're looking. We're, looking. we're still. I think we're still the actually not, in our, the brick and mortar store is not dying. I, I think it's we're in evolving. our infancy. Actually, we have eighty five stores. We believe. Uh, Ever Eve should have somewhere between 300 to 500 stores nationwide. Whoa. So let's talk about the birth of Ever Eve. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. happened, help me with the years. The here. name change? Yes, the name change. Mr. Number Guy, I'm bad at this. I always get it what wrong. Year? What year? Yeah. What year? What year is that? 2014. He's got it. Okay. He knows everything. He's and why and what did that do? It felt like you yeah. kind of knew you were about to explode. You changed the name and bam, well, at the you time, were right. At the time, we felt um, we had we had some. Two challenges. Number one was as as much as we loved Hot Mama and 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 how much the name really worked for us, and was a really special, really great name for us. As we grew, it we also were realizing that it people it was confusing to women, and mostly because they felt like we were maybe a maternity store. Mm-hmm. So that concept that got harder and harder to um, explain. You know, when we were smaller, you could explain it. Women were like, right. oh, yeah, that's great. But then it got harder to explain that. We also ran Branding into Branding is everything. You know what I mean? It's like, so it was great when we were smaller because you had people explaining it, but it just got harder. Mm-hmm. And then, secondly, um, we, we thought we could get hotmama.com. And learned that we could not. We and don't go there. We don't go there with the kids around for sure. No, we don't want to go there with the kids around. So really, it was. I think if it was one or the other, we maybe wouldn't have changed the name. But now I'm glad we did. Yeah. But at the time, it was these two things came together, and we just Mike really, really. For me, it was a little more emotional. But Mike was really like, "We've got to do this." I sort of trusted, even but it's, though I wanted it was to hang risky, on. Risky, right? Was, I mean, you oh, already had a risk. It was like the yeah, day right. I remember. I remember that like I had to walk around the lake like crying like literally like like you're renaming your child like I felt like I was letting go a huge part of me and um but we figured it out we had a great team at the time to figure it out I remember the night before um we had a video I did a video it's terrible because I was just an emotional wreck at the time doing this but whatever um I did a video kind of announcing the name change and I remember um 
like hitting the button. I was on the phone with Ashley Linsmeyer where I was like, okay, are you ready to send this this email out announcing? And I just was, it was probably like the first day jitters, like yeah. just shaking before we decided to send. Because we really thought, I thought this whole thing could be over. Yeah. I remember thinking yeah. this whole thing could be over. And really it was I wouldn't say we experienced a huge dip or a big, or a big. I, I just yeah. it, there's there is certainly a, confusion. I mean, still to this day, some people may not recognize that Hot Mama and Every are, are the same company, and that we renamed ourselves. But that was Every. really only in this market in in the Twin oh, no. Cities. Oh no, you th- felt yeah, like I would more... say even more so outside the Twin Cities. Okay, I think the Twin Cities people were mostly like sad about it. I would say where outside they were outside of the Twin Cities, they were mostly kind of confused. Like, Minnesotans, I feel like, are so loyal to brands that are from here, and so just, they sweet. hold yeah, it so close. So it's sweet. like we still say Dayton's, they're right? So right. Sweet. <laughs> yeah. Like last night, like right. I said, they cheered when I was at an event and mentioned Hot Mama. They were so into it. But yeah. um, so coming out, actually, growth did accelerate. Um, but I don't know if we look back over the last four or five years, I wouldn't say that changing our name grew sales or hurt sales. It, it was something that we had, had to, to do, do, especially as we're growing digitally. We had to have a name, a URL that was the same as the storefront name, mm-hmm. and we could not buy hotmama.com. And at huh. the end of the day, I think we realized that what our brand is about, it is about our values. It is about our culture. It is about our service. It is about our fashion. Um, the name, for me, that was just a a case study that the name is not that Im- as important. Well, I think I mean, companies grow into their brand names. Yeah, so and and we we became we became aware of that and we were comfortable with that risk. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, it seems to have worked out. Um, I'm curious how the the buying process and the merchandising and all that has evolved. Mm-hmm. You know, from one store. I mean, in, in the early years, you were going to mm-hmm. shows, right, mm-hmm. and picking mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. you wanted to carry. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's it's a little bigger now. Yeah. yeah. Are you are you doing much private label? Are you how are you differentiating yourselves and and the the, having the number of stores you do and the kind of presence you do, what doors has that opened up yeah. in terms of what you're able to carry? You know, I think one of the things that, that we've recently done that's been really fun is um, we brought in a, a chief merchant from um, Target, Target, um, and she is fabulous. And what she brings to us is she really helped us get very – she brings brand experience and mm-hmm. just helped us get so clear from a fashion perspective on on what we want to stand for. Mm-hmm. And and she came in – how many how, – how long has it been? A year it's and a half? a little over, yeah, a year, a a year, year and a quarter. And half, a year and a quarter ago. And I think she, she, she took what we were doing, which was already great, and I think she just helped us get even more focused. And so we are very focused right now on on our assortment. Yeah. Um, what, am I going? Am I answering your how, question? Well, I feel like I, like at US, how exclusive. We, I mean, you think oh, about exclusive? kind of the, some of the okay, big yes, competitors yes. these days. You think about the you know the completely vertically integrated brands yeah. like a Zara or a, yeah. you know. I mean, you guys I are. I would say people definitely want us. I mean, they want our curation. Mm-hmm. Um, brands are important to this customer. Mm-hmm. Um, she wants to see premium she wants she's a contemporary shopper so she wants to see brands but funny enough i, I think our, our best sellers are our own private our label. own private labels so she she wants to see the brands but she is she also care like wants our private label how we much made, is private label well we made a decision five six years ago to be a house of brands mm-hmm. uh, so today about 20 percent of all product is our own creation we have our design team and we're designing from scratch and another 20 percent is private or it's exclusive to Avariv, but it's in 
association with these great brands. You could find at other great upscale retailers. And then 60% today is actually brands that are not exclusive to us. Uh, and you will see over the next 12 months this graduation so that we become 60% exclusive compared to 40% of where we are today. Okay. So we're building um, our But our, Megan's right. Our best sellers are often <laughs> our private label. Um, some of the exclusives with the other designers, but often it's uh, the, the product that we actually designed from scratch. And people sure. don't know this, but Allison Joy, which is our private label, is our daughter's name. Aww. And then Peyton Jensen, which is our other um, private label, is one of our business partner and, and a founding leader, Kimberly Ritzer's daughter's name. So Very sweet. Yeah, it's fun. Um, I have to ask about the two of you. Mm-hmm. You spend a lot of time together. <laughs> a lot. Right? Yes. <laughs> what, how do you ever disagree Oh yeah. Do you, how how do you navigate oh, it? The what world do? <laughs> <laughs> no. um, well, I would say we do disagree. Um, On I think, what? Where 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 do you each get frustrated with each other? Be honest. I, I don't think we. I mean, I don't know. If prior probably prioritization of money of of where we're going to spend our money. Maybe. Um, I, although I don't think we disagree a whole bunch. I think we banter back and forth all the time. Mm-hmm. I feel like we we make decisions together. But um, we're constantly talking about ide- we're constantly talking about ideas and coming to conclusions together. Um, so I don't know. Do we disagree a ton? You know, I think what I, Megan I likes. Mean, we like to talk. We talk a lot. a lot. What Megan likes is not necessarily what I like. Um, like meaning what? Um, <laughs> Different well, genes. What do you like mean? What? Like, no, what do you no, mean? Exactly. Like, what, what's say, this about? Well, I think Megan is the soul of our company, and she gets really excited about certain things that we should do. And that may, I may go along. Certainly, like that. Yeah, I love that idea. Um, but I might get very excited about uh, other topics, whether it's performance, and Megan would like that too. Purpose but, and but, profit. I would. But say, I, yep. I would say that we get excited about different things. Uh, yeah. More than we're both passionate about different things. That's a better way of saying it. Okay. And sometimes it's like it's sort of like how do you take his passion and my passion and kind of work it together? And what I've learned is that um, I think where I've grown up a little bit is realizing there's a place for and. Like you don't. It doesn't have to be one way or it doesn't have to be his way or my way. Like there's a place where we can be profitable and and purposeful. Like I'm all about the and these days. Like okay. just believing that you don't have to choose, you can be both. So, I think what's important to him and what's important to me, I feel like well there's space to do there's there's a bun- like there's space to do both. Like yeah. we don't have to pick. And I think early when I was a younger leader, I don't know, I think we both felt like we had to maybe pick like whose way is the right way. And now as we've gotten older, I think we're more we're in our mid 40s now and we're just a little more evolved and a little older and more experienced. I think you're kind of like we don't have to always pick. We can kind of do this together. Right. I would say. Yeah. So can so, you turn it off? Do you ever? I mean, are hard. you always talking it's about hard, work? It's hard, but it's fun. We uh, told our hard. kids. We told our kids when they were growing up. I'm like, uh, you're getting a, an MBA at the dinner table because <laughs> yeah, we, we talk a lot of business. We do. Mike, uh, but, but I think we were pretty. We I think we were sensitive in terms of our own personal relationship with each other, but also our family dynamic of being able to turn it off and say, yeah. okay, now the kids are tired of us talking about it. We're tired of talking about it, and it's we can hard, move on. Though. It's hard. It's harder for me than Mike. I think. Like I can to turn it off. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I like to, because I'm a processor, I like to talk yeah. and talk and talk and talk. And we do a lot of, we do a lot of talking and walking. 
I mean, we we talk and walk. Our work day does not end at six. It does Let's not end at way. six. I mean, it goes. We walk at ten o'clock at night sometimes, and we're talking about the business. And what is a work day like for the two? I mean, where do you two spend most of your time and energies? And I mean, do, do you sign off on everything? Do you have no, to know? Do no. you know everything that's going no. on? It just depends. Do you want to? No. Um, I would say at three years ago, we've, we've almost changed. three years yeah. ago, I would. I would want to sign off on almost everything. And, and and since then, we've been bringing on a lot of talent onto our teams, and our leadership has had to change yeah, and they had to let some of that go. And I, now we're there for guardrails. Yeah. I mean, instead of signing off yeah. things and making sure that we're not going off the guardrail. I, I, this is a new, new kind of chapter for me. The kids are gone um, in college. Both of my kids are grown up and they graduated and they're gone. And we now have um, a really, we just, we have our team in place. We have for this next chapter of our growth. So even in the last couple of weeks, I think like, again, where do we spend our time? That has changed and evolved. And like, we're constantly trying to figure that out. But most recently I'm realizing, okay, here's, here's where I'm at right now. Business is strong. We've got a great team. My kids are out of the house. I'm just saying, um, I'm spending more time than ever outside of the walls of Ever Eve, like doing podcasts, doing speaking, um, talking, things I said no to before. Um, I'm, I feel like our team has allowed me the freedom to say yes to a lot of things outside of Ever Eve. So that's a new thing for me, but, um, and which is, which is kind of exciting and, and fun. So, um, that's kind of relatively new, but I, I also think I was telling Mike the other day, I'm like, I think our team might need us to get out of their way a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I That's actually, tricky. I said that to someone yesterday. I said that to one of our executive team members. I'm like, I think you maybe need me to get out of your way. And she looked at me like. There was no resistance. There was no resistance. <laughs> have, have there been times? Strong endorsement. <laughs> no, so okay. kind of like, you don't Why want did to you do that? So that'd, that'd, be, like, that'd be great. She, she kind of looked but, at me like, yeah, that might be awesome. But that is, that, that's got to be so hard. It, it is, hard. is your it's hard, baby. It's also you, freeing. Yeah. Like if the business is strong and the culture is strong and it's also like part of me is like, okay, like. I'm trying to like, like last night, Mike and I just, we sat on the couch last night and talked. We had our little puppy in between us and we sat there and talked. And I was like, just enjoy this moment of just not having to think about the business. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I'm in a phase right now where it is kind of fun to like, feel like you can give yourself permission to not worry about the business. Have there been any moments where there was something you saw your employees doing and you're like, "Uh, I don't think so. And then they proved you wrong. (laughs) But, but are they usually right? Or I mean, how does it? Like yeah. you're always trying to man like what you're always trying to manage is like your instinct. And I feel like they have so much data, like that because they're in it. So they like you're always trying to manage your instinct that got you to where you are. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to figure out, okay, I've got to use this and speak up, but I also have to let them, they also have more information than I do now. So I have a lot of conversations. I have had a conversation with our chief merchant yesterday, and I just said, listen. I am going to share my instinct with you knowing that you're going to listen and you're going to look, think, you're going to take it back and listen, but then you're going to also, you're going to use your data, your instinct, and and you're going to come back to me with your, your thought on it. Like, but I need to know you're going to at least listen to it mm-hmm. and think about it and then come back to me. And I, I like that because you feel like you, you, you know, your instinct's important, but you've got to share it. 
But how do you also do that in a way that empowers them to use their skill that's so much strong? I mean, they have skills that I don't have. So it's a relationship. To Meg, me, it's a relationship. Megan's also very trusting, and, and that's that's helpful because yeah. you have trusted the people, trusted the process far more than I do. I mean, I'm a little more of a control freak than Megan, <laughs> so it's, letting go is but a lot how, harder for me. But along those lines, I mean, how because what you're doing now is so different than what you were doing a decade ago in terms of how involved you have to be in the day-to-day. How And you have such a big team. How did you learn to be good leaders? Well, I, Work in progress. I, back, I don't know if I'm a very good leader well, I, people. Do, I don't know if I feel like – I feel like um, leadership starts with yourself. So I think it's always um, – at the end of the day, I think just am I always growing and learning and our, our values – that have driven our company, which are the values of humility, empathy, authenticity, relationship, and tenacity. Those values, I think, just always practicing those values. And a big one of a big important part of the value is just humility. And that's that that's that desire to grow and learn and to not think you know it all or you're the smartest or you you figured everything out. So I think that value of humility for me, for me, has helped me as a leader. And I think just working on myself. I mean, Jack Wooten, that famous <laughs> UCLA coach, basketball coach. I I try to use what he says as he congratulates when someone does really well, and because people will repeat that behavior. Mm-hmm. I think that is probably what I have tried to do is uh, try not to always be the negative. Don't do this. Don't do that. But when you see someone doing something that has shown strong performance, it works, is to congratulate them and say, I, I thank you so much for doing that. You don't have to say anything more because people just will naturally say, yeah, I want to keep on doing that. Yeah. And I think um, I'm just so grateful because I feel like people trust us. And I think that's really important in leadership is, um, I mean, we're not perfect, but I do think we have the ability to, we have a team that trusts us. Um, and I think because of that, we can adapt and change yeah. really fast. Um, they don't always agree with us. They don't always maybe like what we have to say, but the tr- I feel like the trust is there. Yeah. And when you have trust, you can you can adjust and make changes. And people are like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with you because I trust you. Right. And I, I think that's a really important part of leadership is just um, having a team. I'm always grateful. I always I always feel so grateful for the trust our team puts in us. I mean, I take that very, that's a very big responsibility when you're running a company and you look at people's livelihoods and you're like, all these people are putting their trust in me. And that's, that's really, I think a really important part of leadership. Uh, Speaking of leaders and mentors, you've had a few of your own. I know that Gordon Siegel Mm -hmm. is on your Evereve board now, and that is like a really kind of special full circle for you, right, Megan? It's such a full circle for me because not only because I was a Chicago girl raised in Glenview, which is where Crate and Barrel's headquarters are, but I worked at Crate and Barrel um, when my kids were little babies. Right. And Gordon Siegel is the founder. He was of the founder. I Crate heard all about him. I, I, I tease him. I'm like, I don't know if I was a really good sales associate because I was really there to get away and um, from the kids and leave um, <laughs> and just buy get disc, you know, home goods on discount. And it was really strange to be. Um, and really, it was on the drives to Crate and Barrel. I would drive to Crate and Barrel Tuesday night, Thursday nights and Saturdays is when I worked. Mm-hmm. And it was on the drive. Um, at that point, Hot Mama was a dream. And it was a dream that I never thought I would ever come true. But it was on the drives. I would kind of leave the kids at home. Mike would come home early from work, watch the kids. I would go work. And I would start to dream. 
about who I was and and my life and leave the kids at home and and start dreaming about my dreams. Mm -hmm. And so it was a it was a really first full circle moment when just coincidentally, like it had nothing to do with me working as a bad sales associate at Crate and Barrel. <laughs> you know, when I was I'm sure you went it back. was really just coincidental that we got connected to him through Winona Capital. Our met, private equity our partner. private equity partners met us and they were like, you need to meet Gordon. And it was just coincidental. So it was a very, very surreal moment the first time um, after Gordon made an investment in every we walk through the Crate and Barrel and Edina together. And I I literally like my whole body. It was like a it was like an out of body experience. Like I cannot believe because it had only been about at that time, maybe 12 years earlier that I'd been working in that store in California. So it was it was a it was a just a really special moment. Before we go, I want to ask you, you've talked a lot about your kids and your own dynamic and the fact that you were a a mom with little kids and you wanted to be there Mm -hmm. and be present for them. And then you dove into something that's like all in 24 seven. How did you balance mm-hmm. it all and what do you you have a lot of young moms who mm-hmm. work for you mm-hmm. what do you tell mm-hmm. them how you know how mm-hmm. do you well, how do for, you do it well for me I think knowing what you want and Mike Mike was so good at this Mike is such a um you you help you get really focused on like what do you want like I don't know you were really good at this but we we sat down before we did this we said what do we want and I, I we decided we wanted a a really great business and we wanted to be really great parents. And that was our priority. Those, those were our priorities. And to be honest with you, when the kids were little, I knew, I, I, I knew, okay, we're going to build a great company and be great parents. There was not a lot of room for anything in between. That, that was, that was it. I mean, it was like, if this, if we sacrificed, like I, at that, that time, um, I, I love design of homes. I love beautiful houses. I love decorating. I, I love, I was a very social, fr- I had lots of friends. Um, but when we did this, we really said, I said no to almost everything that didn't ladder up to those things. Our, our faith is really important to us. So we did make that a priority. But um, other than there was a whole lot of no's, mm-hmm. like just no, 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 no. And we let people, I, I know I let people down, um, but, but do, I didn't do you- let my kids down. And I'm so grateful. I did not let my kids down. And do you think that, you know, I think a lot of people think going into business on their own is going to give them the flexibility they want to be the kind of parents they want. In some ways, I think I hear from a lot of entrepreneurs, it's harder. It's hard. Because you can't turn it off. You can't turn it off. You can't turn it off. Um, I felt like, and I still believe that the best gift we can give to our children is to be, um, I didn't want to be stressed when I was around them. I wanted to be happy. Like I wanted to be full of life. Right. And I felt like for me to be, I, I, I tried to do whatever I could do to make sure that when I was with my kids, I was fully present and I wasn't stressed out. And there are a lot of things that I just completely abandoned, like um, working out, um, you know, trying to have perfect dinners every night, um, carving ho- pumpkins for Halloween. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, in those really intense days, I just said like abandoned Christmas cards. Like I, I abandoned everything, mm-hmm. but I'm so glad now looking back, I'm like, I'm so glad I abandoned the stuff that would stress me out because I was fully present for my kids and I was there and I don't have any regrets. Think, and now I have taught. Now it's like, now they're gone. And it's like, oh my gosh, I can have the best Christmas cards this year. And we're building a house <laughs> and like, I can pick out the curtain. Like wow. I can, like you can do all that. It's, yeah. it, you, there's, 
there's there time. Are there you are can have it all, just seasons. not at the same time. There are time. seasons, you mm-hmm. know. So getting really focused on what you want, right? Is is it, it did help that we did this together? We built yeah, the business no together, doubt about it. And no doubt about we it. Partnered at home together, yeah. and for any interested entrepreneur. Uh, that wants to hard, yeah. launch a business with his or her spouse, I would just say uh, y- you have to be all in with family matters as yeah. well as business matters. And so I-, I was doing laundry. I was cooking meals. I'm a terrible cook. There was a lot of Chef Boyardee <laughs> on the nights that I cooked. But we were partnering. Yeah. It made more sense I, I mean, for Megan to be in the stores on those busier days, Thursday, Fridays, and Saturdays. And then Megan would be often at the homes, uh, at the home with the kids on Mondays, Tuesdays, yeah. and Wednesdays. We figured that out. We, so we just definitely partnered 100%. Yeah, and I think that's really important because I don't think everybody has that. Like we have the dynamic where we we both winning at home and winning at work is the same. Like it, it, right. it you know, it's harder for when you're not partnering with your spouse, I think. Yeah. But we we also prior to starting Every, we were big turn takers. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big believer in like there's a time for you to shine and then there's a time for me to shine. You he wanted to go to California, we went to California. I wanted to come back to Minnesota. So I love that that idea of like turn taking yeah. and i think we're really good we're really good at taking turns mm-hmm. <laughs> so your talkers your planners your collaborators you must think about next chapters especially now that you're empty nesters the company's mm-hmm. running well what does the future hold for ever eve and for both of you I think Evereve is on a it's on fire. yeah mm-hmm. a trajectory of growth. Uh, 2018, early 2019 has been um, almost record-setting growth. It's been fantastic. So we do believe that's going to continue. Um, you know, we have a private equity partner, and we're going to be looking for uh, to replace that private equity partner, and that's going to be part of that next uh, chapter is figuring out who that partner is going to be and how they're going to help us articulate that next step in that vision. I think I'm going to, for me, it's just a lot of just being really curious right now. I don't know what the next steps are going to be. And that's never how I, I've never been one that's, um, or I've learned not to plan too much, but to just take one little small step of curiosity and faith. And, and, and just like every day, I'm just trying to take a small step and just be really curious about the future and just follow my curiosity. Well, it seems like you're on a very fun trajectory <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> congratulations Thank you. on all the well, success. Congratulations been, to you too. Okay. We're so proud of you. Well, and the watching your you watch my career, but I've wow. watched yours. And it is so fun. It's been fun to, to see a to woman leading Twin Cities business. Oh, thank you, Megan. How fun Mike, is that? Megan, thank you so thank much you. for sharing your story with us. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. And we'll thank keep you. watching and shopping. Sounds good. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> And now, back to the classroom with our sponsor, the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. So how do you use social media and digital channels to your brand's advantage? Let's go back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. Professor Gino Giovanelli is a guru of digital marketing. The Tamptees talked in their interview about getting personal on social, offering a mix of expertise and a glimpse inside their world. Professor, is that the right approach for any entrepreneur? And how do you find the right balance, especially as your business is scaling? Sure. Uh, I think first and foremost, the the nature of how they started their business was very much a personal thing where uh, Megan was trying to go shopping and had had a bad experience and just really wanted 
um, some, someone or somebody that she can connect with uh, in a really um, intimate way. And I think I think that because that's how the business started, I think that's a great way for them to to extend their brand and, and be genuine and authentic as to who they are. Uh, the fact that they chose to do that through social media, I think, is is another uh, brilliant idea because of all the channels, that's the one where you can probably be the most authentic. In other words, compare that to a brochure where the pictures are very carefully chosen and all the words have been reviewed and approved and edited. And, um, you take take social media where you can write about just about anything you want in a very fluid way, and it's not it's not packaged professionally or or uh, scripted, if you will. And I, I think it gives Megan a chance to really be authentic and say what's on her mind. And I think, again, I think that's the core of the business. They're looking for ways to connect with people, real people with real problems, like trying to find clothes that fit certain body sizes. I mean, those are those are real challenges. And I think she's able to to kind of peel away the all, sort of the the formalness of it. It fits with her brand. Um, so social media is such an amazing opportunity for businesses that don't have huge marketing budgets and they're for just sure. starting out today. It also seems like it could easily be overwhelming. Just doing the, the tweeting and the Instagramming and Facebook could be a full-time job. So how do you suggest an entrepreneur manage it all? Do you pick a lane? Do you try to do everything? Uh, for sure, you pick a lane. I, just like they've had to do with every decision that they've made as they've scaled their businesses is to be disciplined and not try to be all things to all people and not to play on all the social media platforms. Pick a couple uh, that, that that align with what you're who you're trying to reach and the way you want to reach them and go and go deep on those channels. I think that's that's she's playing it right in that regard where they're not overextending themselves because the worst thing you can do is open up all these social media platforms and then do all of them kind of, Half baked and not 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 all in. She she seems like an all in kind of person. So she's she's picking a lane. And she's sticking to her knitting and doing a great job at it. Better to be all in on one I than just to dabble sure. on both. Sure. Before we let you go, I have to ask. Um, <laughs> since the Tampties obviously balance being husband and wife with re- being co CEOs, yeah. you have a little personal experience with that yourself. I do. As I was listening to the the podcast, it was uh, bringing me back in, t- in two thousand eight. My wife and I uh, went into a real estate business together. Um, now, not anywhere near the scale of these two, but um, but a lot of the things they shared were things that that we went through on a, again on a smaller scale, where um, working like basically spending all day together, uh, and and the good news is you're together all day long, and the bad news is you're together all day long, <laughs> right. and we like they had kids and um, and trying to kind of work that out. I loved, I honestly loved it. We were just in the wrong industry. At, well, the right industry at the wrong time, 2008. But um, I, I wonder if if that it was a different time where I would be right now. But I loved going to work with her and working with her all day long. And then um, in terms of the Tamkeys, they, they would create boundaries and so did we. It's like work was work and home was home. The nice thing about working together is when you get home, you don't have to do that. How was your day, honey? Mm-hmm. And usually you only hear the negative stuff, hmm. Right. So I feel like we didn't have to go through that. So when we got home, we were home. We didn't talk about work. So you moved past we, the debrief. We moved past the debrief, and we also got a holistic picture. Like, I know what went really well in her day, and I also know what didn't go well in her day. When we when we were working in different companies, I kind of only hear the things that don't go so well. So I feel like I got a better view, and it also allowed us, when we were home, to be all in for the kids. And like they said, we did a lot of walks. So if we had to talk business, 
we go hit a lake or we go walk around the neighborhood or whatever. So we didn't have we didn't do the, the traditional pillow talk thing at all, <laughs> unless what? it was really bad. Okay. It was really bad. There was like you know knock knock you know in the middle of the night. I need to talk to you about something. But for the most part, we were able to keep it really separate. But it was a, it was a it was a great time in our lives. We huh. loved it. Well, you make it sound very oh. enticing. Professor Giovanelli, thank you so much. And thanks to our sponsor, the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. If you haven't already, please subscribe to By All Means wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also go to tcbmag.com slash byallmeans to learn about more episodes. On our next episode, we talk to Zachary Quinn, co-owner and president of Love Your Melon, the $40 million hat company that donates half of its profits to fighting pediatric cancer. I'm Allison Kaplan. On behalf of Twin Cities Business, thanks for listening to By All Means. Brad Jacobson, John Sullivan, and Tom Forlitti from St. Thomas, as well as Sam Schaust and Ricky Hannigan from Twin Cities Business for helping to produce and engineer our show. Our theme music is by Songfinch. Thanks also to Senior Media Relations Manager Vanita Sakar and Associate Dean of the Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, Laura Dunham, for helping us to make this happen. Hope you enjoyed, by all means.